0: following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church this morning. And I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 66, please. Isaiah 66. After over uh, six months Of reading one chapter at a time, uh, morning and evening, we come to the end of Isaiah's prophecy. Closing out now the book of comfort, the second part of Isaiah's prophecy. Come to these last 24 verses in the 66th chapter. And it reads this way Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. That's a... Kind of a paradoxical thing when you think about it. Heaven and earth cannot contain God or even be his footstool, yet he delights to dwell inside of people who are of contrite spirit and who tremble at his word. Verse number 3. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. That, that part right there clues us in that now he's changing uh, area or, or situation from somebody who is trembling at his word to somebody who despises God, who offers, as it were, uh, the, defi- the most defiled thing that could be thought of in Old Testament theology upon the altar or who treats you know, killing a bull or a lamb this way. Continuing on in verse number three, he who burns incense as if he blesses an idol, just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so will I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my namesake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies, Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed on her sides you shall shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees as one whom his mother comforts so i will comfort you and you shall be comforted in jerusalem when you see this your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass the hand of the lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies for behold the lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by sword, the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and those among whom, sorry, those among them who escape, I will send to the nations, to Tarshish and Pull and Lud, who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan to the coastlands afar off, who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles." Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. and I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. Pause just for a second. What you're seeing here in these last couple of verses is the scene of a massive influx or immigration into the holy city and into Jerusalem. It's the regathering of Israel in the last time and the great number of them. They'll be bringing them in and carrying them in and riding in on animals and whatever they can do to bring them to come in. Verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. And so in one and the same chapter, we close the prophecy and you see both glory and also judgment uh, from the hand of God. Amen. We have a great privilege today to uh, have Dan and Liz Thompson with us and uh, their children uh, staying with us. They arrived yesterday afternoon. They've been in the area. And when I heard that they were going to be in Michigan, I was with them in Florida at the business meetings uh, with GMSA I said well you must come I, I didn't really make them come but I sort of did uh, I really wanted them to come and no. that's true that's right They couldn't say no right so uh, we just are very grateful uh, they said something um, I don't know if it was earlier today or yesterday but in introducing themselves to somebody that I heard and I, I just thought it was very appropriate they are a family who works together for the Lord and I see that and commend that example to you. Um, our brother's testimony this morning was uh, moving to me, just a good reminder for me. I've, I've known them now, as, as he said, uh, hard to imagine to be able to say we've known each other for 20 years or more. Uh, you probably met Dan and Liz, Mike, when we were in Florida, remember? Yeah, when we were working at the uh, headquarters building there, either the first or the second trip. we. Tried to figure that out. I think it was the first one that we made back in 99. That was when they thought uh, when the year flipped over to 2000 that all the airplanes were going to fall out of the sky, you know, and uh, so they made us change our flight plans and everything and uh, because we were scheduled to come home on, I don't know if it was New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or something, but that was quite a memory Um, before they were married and before Naomi and I were married as well. And so we've known uh, each other for that long. Uh, and uh, but just going back to that theme of working together for the Lord and the Lord has called them to work in uh, Uruguay it appears to them and to us at this time uh, they did so in Chile for many years and uh, just work together as a family doing all kinds of things on the camp ministering uh, physical labor working building uh, an interpersonal work or personal uh, you know evangelism and discipleship and those things just a just a blessing to uh, to see the family. And, and they're part of a larger family that we know with Terry and Carol Thompson and, um, you know, Andy and Colette and David and Christy uh, there as well. And so uh, it's wonderful to see those pictures from uh, a small start to a large clan now and how God has used that family for his glory. So we invite Dan to come and share... Uh, From the Word this morning, he's going to be in Matthew, he told me yesterday, so if that plan hasn't changed, you can turn there to the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we are going to enjoy a good message from the Word this morning, and uh, hope that you will follow along carefully. Dan, thank you so much. He testified this morning that when he went to college, he didn't want to be a missionary and he didn't want to be a pastor. You know, for me, when you say certain things to God that you don't want to be what he's going to do to you,
1: (laughs) we do have the tendency of learning the hard way, right? It is a pleasure to be here this morning. It has been quite a few years and, uh, well, I shared this morning a little bit about who we are, but, uh. are grateful as a family for this opportunity and do encourage you to pick up a prayer card and sign up for our newsletter and continue to pray for our family in this time of transition 13 years in Chile now heading to Uruguay with some changes in uh, ministry and culture uh, language dialects uh, vocabulary different things like that Uh, just encourage you to pray for the family and uphold the ministry there in Uruguay Matthew chapter 9 When a missionary comes, he's supposed to preach a missionary message, right? (laughs) Not always. Just give us the all of the... Truth is, uh, most of the time, it's not uh, where I end up going with passages. Most of the time, it's what the Lord has laid on my heart or what I've been teaching through in other cases. But this is one of those instances where we will visit a pretty familiar passage. And uh, I want us just to think it through and uh, see what we see there uh, beyond maybe the burden placed on ourselves many times when it comes to the case of missions. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity to be here this morning, meeting together for encouragement, for fellowship, for growth in you and your word pray that as we look at this passage that you would just open our hearts and our minds and our wills to be submissive and willing to obey what you show us. We love you and we thank you again for this opportunity. In your name, amen. We read through this passage and it's the Gospels. It's talking about Jesus' ministry. It's what Sunday school classes made up of, uh, those stories of Jesus traveling through uh, the miracles uh, always puzzled me baffled me would love to have been a fly on the wall and just see how these things took place and uh, it's fascinating to see the interaction of jesus with people i was reading a book not too long ago talking about a god and his attributes and just so much larger than we can fathom or imagine or comprehend and yet so many times we bring him down and reduce him to what we can understand which is really limiting god to human attributes and not really who he is and yet we see in jesus christ god yet he's fleshed out as a man as he lived and dwelt among us and it's so interesting to see and to read and to maybe mentally place ourselves in the midst of his disciples and those following as part of the crowd and seeing this interaction. And I want us to think about particularly three things. One, his method, his heart, and his means. And it's not a very complex message, uh, not tons of points, just three things that we see in this passage laid out. First of all, we start off with verse 35. It tells us that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, Preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So it it lays out a little bit in a summary form. And if you've read what comes before in the chapters, you know his ministry and what he's been doing. And the chapters following, he continues doing the same. But we're very method-driven many times, aren't we? So when we look at a passage and, and we look at strategies and methods, we want to try to figure out, well... How did, what did he do and how did he do it so we can replicate it? And the reality is, I think you would have a hard time trying to nail Jesus down to a methodology. Beyond he served people. It's interesting, it talks about he goes to cities and to villages. To me, that makes me think he's going to both the metropolis, the big area, and the out-of-the-way area which you had to go through to get from big city to big city I think a lot of times we talk about the fact that you know you, you need to go where the people are uh, not too long ago we were out in iowa the northwest corner of iowa almost into south south dakota i would call that a village in this passage there was not a whole lot around there lovely cornfields and that was it Actually, at that point in in April, there was still snow. Um, Out of the way place, and we were visiting with a a pastor who was formerly a missionary in Chile, had a great time, and you kind of look around and go, why here? Why are you here? And yet Sunday morning, we realized why he was there, because there were people there. Maybe they're not as close together as other places, but there's people there. Jesus went to the big cities where there were lots of people And we see that to be the case here. What do you draw from that? What do you conclude from that? Jesus ministered where the people were at. Whether it was one guy by the roadside, a blind man calling out to him, whether it was in a crowd with thousands teaching to them, whether it was on a boat with just 12, he ministered to the people where they were at. And I think if if we can draw anything from that, it's the fact that ministry is all around us wherever we go all the time. A lot of times we, we like to come up with this idea or these methods that know the, the ideal place to go is here. This is strategic, and there is strategy involved, but there's people everywhere, and people everywhere need it. We look at the map of South America, and you see Uruguay is a little tiny country of 3.5 million people whose population hasn't increased in 50 years. And you kind of look at that and you go, well, it's such a little place and there's so few people. There are cities in the U.S. that have more people than the whole country of Uruguay. Why not go there? Well, there's people there that also need the gospel. Whether it's a lot of people or few people, they need the gospel. So you just kind of read through and you say, well, he didn't limit himself to just saying, I'm only going to one place. Whether he was going there or going through a place, he ministered to those people wherever he went the second thing it tells us too is that he taught and ministered in their synagogues but we also know that along the way he wasn't teaching in synagogues he was teaching as they walked he was teaching beside the lake which is a great place to teach right outdoors I don't know what it is about being outdoors and teaching and listening but it's just it's phenomenal what does that tell us about how he ministered I would call it this way he ministered both in church settings the religious centers but he wasn't limited to just in church ministering he ministered outside of that where people lived where people worked where people walked the general interactions he ministered everywhere to people it tells us too that he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom i think if we're going to draw anything out of this passage is the fact that jesus christ had a message of the kingdom we know what that is At this point, they're just being revealed the truth that the kingdom was actually walking among them. The king had come to them. But Jesus Christ preached. We're easily drawn to the miracles, which comes a little bit later in this passage. And he was healing and he was doing miracles. And uh, the crowds were too, weren't they? He got huge followings, thousands of people following. But what were they following for most of the time? the miracles, the bread. He he feeds 5,000 plus one day and the next day he moves on and they wake up and they're hungry again and they go looking for him. And what are they following him for? We want more bread. We want more food. Pretty shallow following most of the time. And at that point, Jesus utters those words, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have anything to do with me. And at that point, most of the people did what? turned away. They weren't interested in going beyond their physical needs, their physical emotions and what attracted them. But Jesus message was the kingdom. It was something far greater than just an earthly feeding or an earthly healing. It was spiritual. So Jesus then all over the place, both in the spiritual context and what we call a secular context outside of that, preaches the gospel and heals every sickness And every disease among the people. And that's where we draw the line and we go, well, we're not there, right? He had a power far greater than what we have to go out and do this. And yet I think we miss the fact that what it was focused on was both giving credence to who he was, verifying who he was. He was affirming that he was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God. But also the fact that as he looked out on them and saw their needs, he was moved with compassion. He both ministered physically and spiritually to their needs. We see Jesus then ministering to the whole of the people. So his method is varied. His method is what we would call all over the place. You can't trace it and say Jesus always did this. He ministered all over. He ministered in big cities and small towns within the religious establishments outside of that. He ministered spiritually and he also ministered physically, to people. But we also see his heart in this case. What drove him to do this? When you read through the accounts of the Gospels, and it talks about Jesus and getting up early to pray and ministering and serving all day to the point of exhaustion, the disciples couldn't keep up, right? The disciples would get to a certain point, and they'd just say, okay, send the crowds home because we need to eat, we need to rest, we need to have our own time. And Jesus Christ would keep ministering. And you look at that and you say, what, what drove that? And we see in the second part what drove it. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. It's fascinating to me that many times when we... Come to the fact of whether we call it world missions whether we call it evangelism within our community or our context we, we end up maybe drumming up guilt or pressure or incentives or somehow trying to motivate ourselves to do what we know we ought to do which is share the good news with others and seek to minister and serve others and yet if we don't have what Jesus Christ had here in his eyes and being able to see the true condition of those people around him, the disciples were looking at the same thing and not seeing what he was seeing. Jesus looked out at the multitudes, being those surrounding him, being those following him, being those in the villages and in the cities, and it says he was moved with compassion, with a deep emotion. But we know from the fact of that he's been ministering that this emotion is not an empty emotion. It is an emotion that leads to action. He sees them and he's moved with compassion, with mercy, with grace to seek to meet their needs. Because he sees them, not how we end up seeing people many times, but he sees them in their true condition. And they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Weary and scattered kind of just sounds like they're a little bit discouraged and kind of, out and about on the way the word is harassed the word is harassed Israel in particular in those crowds had shepherds but those shepherds were actually wolves seeking to destroy them seeking to lead them astray burdening them beyond what they were able to take and instead of being good and medicine for their soul they were leading them to destruction And Jesus looks out and he sees the true condition of people in this situation. They may look okay on the outside. Many of them looked very religious on the outside, like the Pharisees. And yet inside, they were destined for destruction. And Jesus Christ sees their true state, their true condition and their true need. If they did not hear and believe and receive the gospel, they were eternally condemned it's a pretty desperate situation not, not the kind of thing like well they can wait a little bit longer they are in an urgent need and it moves them to compassion and it moves them to mercy and it moves them to action as he ministers and shares the good news I think far too many times we get into a routine Uh, For those of you that were here this morning, you saw a a picture of a volcano. Pastor Matt has seen that volcano. We were about 10 miles from the crater of the volcano, so we were pretty close. And uh, there was a big alert system all the time, very active. But it was a beautiful volcano, snow-capped year-round. It's just got that perfect volcano shape, and it always had a little bit of smoke coming out of the top, which just lets you know everything's okay. When it stopped smoking, it meant it plugged up and it was going to blow. So as long as you saw smoke, you were okay. But every time you drive by, you were so close, it was just amazing. One of the things we miss about Chile are the mountains and the volcanoes. But you know, after you lived there a while, you would drive by on the way to town, and you would not even glance at that volcano. It's, it's picture perfect. It's snow-capped. It's right there. It's just gorgeous right beside you. And you wouldn't even look at it. You wouldn't even glance at it. Why? It becomes familiar. You just, it's every day. It's always there. Yeah, it looked like that yesterday. I have a feeling we do that with people around us. We bump into people. We meet people. We work with people. We have neighbors. And we get so accustomed to them just being there that we quit seeing them as Jesus Christ has seen them in this passage. For who they really are, they are lost and condemned without Jesus Christ. We get complacent with those around us because we're going to go to the store and we're going to buy and we're going to say hi to the teller and we're going to talk to them and we've seen them a hundred times and we just go on our way because they're just the person that works there. When in reality, our desire should be to be able to see them as Christ sees them and not just as another person along the way, but someone who is in need of Jesus Christ today. Jesus looks out and he sees them, and it moves him to compassion, and that compassion moves him to action. I think what is fascinating to me is, is what comes next. As he is looking out and seeing this, and he's got the disciples around him who are obviously not seeing the same thing. <clears throat> How do we know this? If you look at some of the other gospels, you'll find out that the disciples, as they followed Jesus, most of the time were not looking and focusing on what Jesus Christ was seeing. They were always arguing about something other than what Jesus Christ was trying to get across to them. Even to the very end, they're arguing about who's going to sit on the right side, who's going to sit on the left side, who's going to be first, who's going to be this, who forgot the bread. There's arguments all the time about stuff but never about what Jesus Christ is talking about. And, and he, he comes to them, and to me it's like he's kind of giving them a wake-up call. As he looks out and sees this, doesn't tell us what they were arguing about in this passage, but he turns to them and he tells them the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Here's the truth of what Jesus Christ looks out and sees. There is a great harvest There are many who have not heard. Jesus Christ's mandate to his disciples later is going to be to go out and do what? Make disciples. The harvest, therefore, is what? Disciples. Disciples. Followers of Jesus Christ. There are many out there who have not heard and who do not follow Jesus Christ the harvest is truly great we were just driving down yesterday from excuse me from Greenville uh, up by uh, Grand Rapids just north of Grand Rapids and had already started harvesting the wheat fields I just find that fascinating I love watching the combines going by and and the whole process of harvesting them the, the wheat and it was fascinating to watch and you kinda get this picture of looking out over this vast field And it's people that you're looking at. And it's their need that you're looking at. And you're moved by compassion because you realize the state they're in. And you realize that there is truly a great harvest. Are the followers of Jesus Christ the majority or the minority? The minority. Those who have yet to believe and hear and follow are the majority a broad horizon who have not heard, who have not believed. What is astounding is what Jesus does next with this passage. As he gets them to lift up their eyes, to look out there, to see the need as he sees it, a desire that they be moved with compassion for the need of the people out there, we would would expect maybe a different type of resolution to this problem. Because in our mind, if there is a great need and a great urgency, you better hurry up. You better do something quickly. And yet he doesn't move on to action as we think of it. But he moves on to the source of who we are to call on. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Doesn't that seem counterproductive? Doesn't it seem counterintuitive? There's a great need, there's a great harvest, so go harvest. No. You stop and you pray, the Lord of the harvest send out labors. Like I said at the beginning, many times we we fall into this idea of of applying different methods and, and, and guilt or trying to, get people into a certain state of emotion so that they will go out and and fulfill the great commission as they ought to and yet Jesus tells us to fall on our knees in order to fulfill this and yet it's not inactivity as we think of it because we understand what's going to happen in this process the next chapter Jesus does send him out he does send him out to minister But I want you to think through this process with me and and try to make it a little bit more real and practical in our lives. I have a neighbor in our family. The person we don't know is always Bob. I don't know if there's any Bobs here today. But neighbor Bob is right across the street, and I know he is lost, and I know he's condemned, and he's part of that harvest field, and I know he needs to hear the gospel. What should I do? Well, it says to pray. So, how should I pray? <clears throat> God, send someone to Bob to share the gospel with him. Now, here's the question Do I really believe Bob needs the gospel? Am I really moved to compassion for the state he's in? Do I understand that if he dies without hearing it and believing it, he's condemned? Do I love Bob? What will my prayer really be like if those are true? Lord, give me the opportunity to share with Bob the good news. And if I don't get the opportunity, then send someone else. But I'm his neighbor. I should be the one that loves him and desires to see him know Christ. So my prayer is going to be slightly different if I genuinely love Bob and want him to hear the gospel. I'm not just going to kneel down and say, send someone, but give me the opportunity to. Give me the words to say. Give me the courage. Ordain our paths so that I have the opportunity to do this. And if I start sincerely praying that, what is it going to do with my life and my actions? I am going to be looking for ways to share with Bob the good news. So the prayer leads to action. The prayer leads to action because it's moved with compassion. The other thing that's interesting about this prayer is we can go to God and we can pray sincerely because we're praying according to his will. Who is the one most interested in this harvest? Him. Who is the one that loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them? So we can pray and we can kneel before our God and pray knowing that we are praying according to his will 100% with complete confidence that we are praying in agreement with what he desires and wants. Lord, Send out laborers. And if I have the opportunity, send me out. And if I start praying for those around me and seeking opportunities, then the Lord will give me those opportunities to meet that. And it puts me in a position not of expecting myself to be the one to carry it out, but being submissive to God carrying out his plan through me to reach those around me. How about those that are our children or our grandchildren? If I truly believe that others need to hear the good news, can I kneel down and pray for those countries that are closed to the gospel and pray for those countries that have never heard the good news that God would send laborers, including my children? to those places, or my grandchildren to those places? Could I do that? If, if I really see the need, if I really see the harvest field and know that they need, am I willing to bend my knee and tell God, take what you will from me? Send my children, send my grandchildren? A lot of times it's easy to say, send me, and well, he never gave me the chance, but how about letting go of those that are around us? Are we moved with compassion to the point of saying they're yours? If I end up seeing them every five years, every four years, if I never see them again, the harvest is great. Lord, send out laborers, whatever the cost. Are we willing to do that? There is a great harvest field, not just in Uruguay. I would assume in Ann Arbor many who have never heard you don't have to look far away you don't have to look in the big cities or the small villages or in between places it's everywhere there's a great need do we see them as Christ saw them as Christ sees them for what they are are we moved with compassion and love and mercy for them and their state then we bend our knees and we submit to the Lord of the harvest. And we beg of him to send out labors, including ourselves, including our loved ones, including those around us, so that they may hear. There is a great need. It hasn't changed. The, the, the amazing part is the Lord has been... Gracious in granting years of mercy and grace to many who have never heard. And Jesus said these words 2,000 years ago, and it's, the field's not gotten any smaller in that time. The field is greater. And we have more means today to get the good news out than ever before. My question is not, are you willing to go My question is, are you willing to pray earnestly and sincerely that the Lord of the harvest send out laborers as you see the need of those out there? That is the question I leave with you today. It is a question I ask myself as we seek to minister also. We're thankful for the word. We're thankful for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us but let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's not be so thankful that we forget the fact that once we were without the good news and someone saw us as a harvest field and gave us the good news, that we would also be moved to that. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for this reminder pray that you would align our prayers with your will, that we would see the world as you see it, in their desperate need, that we would beg you to send out labors, that we would be willing ourselves to go out and let others loose around us to go out into this field. We know the power is not in and of ourselves. It is from you that you are doing the work that you will bring in those that you have called and we rejoice in that we thank you that you have found us worthy to be part of the laborers in this process thank you for the church here lord pray that you would continue to use it as a light in darkness that its testimony in the neighborhood and the community would be one of those that love you and honor you one that seeks to make a difference through the word in this world. Just pray that you would continue to use it to send out laborers. We love you, we thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.